Welcome to the State of Play podcast, episode eight now. I'm your host, Pep Barisha, and as always, I'm joined by uh, Matt Santangelo. Matt, how are you doing, man? Pretty good. It's good to be back after a couple of weeks, and um, again, it feels like we're always doing these during international break, which is kind of crummy in my opinion, but uh, in any case, yeah, international break's probably uh, coming at the right time for Milan, which uh, I know we'll talk about for reasons why. Yeah, I almost felt like that was a bit of shade directed to me, but we, we're not alone are we today Matt we're, we're joined by a very special guest today a very special one yeah let's uh let's get him let's introduce him <laughs> so we are joined by the one and only Alex Goldberg Alex how you doing man oh thanks guys so much for having me it's a pleasure to join you what have you been up to man tell us uh, about your recent endeavors oh wow well I mean the international break specifically is uh wretched I, I can't stand it because it really feels like we're fishing the things fishing for things to talk about but um overall I mean it's Chelsea season has been a uh, fun. That's kind of a team I'm attached to. If you follow me on Twitter, uh, you're a brave soul, but you'll also just be <laughs> hounded with Chelsea stuff left and right. So um, it's been a fun season. You know, I, it launched a YouTube channel recently, and uh, if you can stomach my opinions, it's uh, it's been a fun ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're doing some uh, cracking work, man. I've, I've kind of followed you for a while and your growth has been ridiculous the past uh, six months or so so props to you but you mentioned Chelsea there the first thing we're going to talk about is Christian Pulisic that's one interesting thing that's come up during this international break him being linked to Chelsea so Alex why don't you kick us off what what are your opinions on this yeah so you know first of all as you mentioned it's during the international break so I did a video yesterday on YouTube and I, I needed to at least preface by saying you know, this could just be an international break story. These happen. We're really kind of, you know, grasping for things to talk about. But um, it, it does interest me a little bit because we are closer to the January transfer window now. And uh, part of the report or the rumor was that maybe Chelsea would wrap up a deal in January. Whether he'd come in January or not, maybe they would secure it. They're also apparently, you know, maybe facing a transfer ban, um, as it seems like maybe many clubs are. But, uh, you know, the ballistic thing is interesting because – you know, he's a player that obviously is very well known, um, you know, pretty much because he is America's best player. I think consensus best player, but he's been playing on Borussia Dortmund now for a handful of years, but he's only 20 years old. And, and for Chelsea fans, it's uh, it, guys I've never seen, at least in the last few years, I've never seen more of a split and divisive realistic one. I'm telling you, half the fan base wants him and half the fan base doesn't want him. And I would say the people who don't want him mainly don't want him. And uh, I'm not trying to bring up William's name uh, meaningless, meaninglessly, <laughs> but many fear that he is a younger William. Uh, he's a very good dribbler, uh, pretty balanced dribbler, can play the left wing and right wing, similar to William, but he lacks end product. Uh, the big difference for me is William is 30 years old and Christian Pulisic is 20 years old. I'd like to say, you know, people said when Maurizio Sarri arrived that Willian would start scoring and assisting, but Willian's 30 years old. It's hard to teach an old dog new tricks. Christian Pulisic is 20 years old. He's clay. He can still be molded. So Christian Pulisic's not my top target at right wing for Chelsea, but um, I'm starting to really be more in favor of Pulisic coming to Chelsea because all of a lot of Chelsea fans don't want him, and I feel they're being a shiny new toy. They want who's ever in form, which is Jadon Sancho now, and not Christian Pulisic. And, and the big thing I come back to is Pulisic has experience. He started in Champions League games against Real Madrid. He still has a lot of untapped potential, in my opinion. Um, he's got a great attitude. He's not 
playing a lot for Borussia Dortmund guys, I don't feel is a, a big indictment on him. I don't think it's a big negative because Borussia Dortmund, as you guys probably know, are in phenomenal, phenomenal form. They're full. Uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach in the Bundesliga. They're also playing well in the Champions League. So you guys know, you know, when a team is doing really well, you don't break some, you don't. Uh, so I don't think it's a big deal that Pulisic's off to a slow start. So I'm kind of 50-50 on it, but I, I actually probably leaning towards being in favor of Christian Pulisic coming to Chelsea. Interesting stuff. And I guess one thing that might add to this story, actually having some substances, is that his contract is up in 2020, right? Yes, yes. So he's got, you know, just a, a little bit more than a year on his contract. So, you know, I, I would say another reason why some Chelsea fans don't want him coming is the rumored price tag is around 70 million euros, which, mm. you know, from from everybody more in the know, way more than I am and, and with a lot more experience in terms of uh, taking in these rumors at this time of year, I wouldn't take that price tag to heart. Uh, I highly doubt it would be 70 million euros. Um it's usually this time of year where the price tags are probably the least realistic. So, yes, it still may be a pricey deal, but, um, you know, I, I would not obsess over 70 million euros. As I said, as you said, he's got only a little bit more than a year on his deal. So I don't think it would be that much. And then, you know, one other thing is, by the way, if it was 70 million euros, Chelsea fans all summer were well, not all summer, but once Keppa from. Uh, Bill Bow at the time had been rumored to come to Chelsea. Courtois was on his way out. I heard so many Chelsea fans say, no, not that high of a price tag. He's going to be a bust. And now not one Chelsea fan is talking about his price tag. So my stance on those high price tags and high fees are they're only not worth it if a player completely flops and doesn't help the team. So if you're a Chelsea fan and you don't want Pulisic because of the rumored price tag, I think you're focusing on the wrong things. Totally agree. And, and Matt, that's something that you echoed in the last episode of the state of play what are your thoughts on christian pulisic potentially moving to a higher level or to a to a bigger team from Borussia dortmund well i think it's inevitable i think it's it's something that you know when we first saw pulisic come on the on the on the screen here for um you know, not only Borussia dortmund but even for the men's national team right i think it was quite clear that with his interest um with the interest coming uh, abroad specifically from england of course i think at the time there was uh, talks of Liverpool. I believe he actually came out uh, last year, the year before, and spoke about, um, you know, how he was a Man United fan growing up. Um, and obviously, I'm not going to say that has a, a direct, you know, correlation there um, that he's going to go to Man United or he wants to play there. Because how many times have we heard stories about t- certain players, even in Italy, saying I grew up a Juventino, and you know, and then they're playing for Milan, or I, I grew up a Milanista, I'm playing for Juventus, and and so on and so forth. But I will say, when we, he first came on the scene, on, on the uh, you know, on the radar, if you will, as a teenager, scoring goals for the men's national team, uh, you know, playing really well even in the Champions League for for uh, Borussia Dortmund, I think it was quite clear that he his future lies um, outside of Germany. Um, this is no slight on uh, Borussia Dortmund, but that's just the, kind of the way they operate now. Um, you know, Jadon Sancho's a guy that again he could spend two three years at the club. Um, and then eventually you'll go on and get a big a big move to a Premier League team or um, somewhere in Spain or whatever the case may be. So, uh, look, I, I've been a fan of Pulisic for a while. Um, I think, you know, part of me saying, you know, I think we men's national team fans specifically, I'm looking more in the national team picture for a moment, need to be a little bit careful with how they rate certain players because I think there's so much pressure on a guy like Pulisic now with the you know the current state of the men's national team to be a star right away. And you got to understand for 
uh, an 18, 19, and now, of course, you said 20-year-old player to get such pressure and such expectations thrown on him um, at a young age to be this Superman-type player, the men's national team's best generation, you know, best talent in their generation, uh, or this generation, rather. It's a lot to put on a young kid, and especially for Baruch, uh, for uh, Pulisic. Uh, I think, again, you know, Alex touched upon it, and I think you could totally agree with that. That, that fee is just not going to happen, especially with the fact that um, he's kind of not – he's still – He's still a commodity, but I think he's cooled off a bit with, again, with Sancho, with a lot of those players at Borussia Dortmund thriving and getting a lot of the attention now. Um, I think this would be a really good time, though, you know, for, for Chelsea or any type of other suitor to act, to pounce. Again, I don't think $70 million is a realistic fee at all. Um, I don't think it's something that Chelsea would even pay. But I think at this point, if you can get him for like maybe 30, 35 as a 20-year-old, uh, you got to understand you're not going to be paying for what he's going to give you now. You're paying for what he can give you, you know, five, six years, seven years down the line as a starting player and a guy with a lot more seasoning, a lot more experience. Um, and I think that's something that, um, you know, anyone would agree with is that, you know, what we saw with Barcelona, right? Was Usman Dembele worth $110 million or whatever Barcelona paid for him from Borussia Dortmund? No, but they understood that they're buying what his his potential is going to be what they forecast the type of player he's going to be and I think that could be somewhere where Chelsea again benefit greatly again they obviously do need uh, attacking help um, in wider areas as Alex mentioned and I've you know watched some of his videos extensively and then he's going he has talked a ton about how much they need more production from those wider areas and more goal scoring production um, in those wider areas so I think again I got like Pulisic in January um, it may be difficult just because I think again Borussia Dortmund probably want to see if they can get his uh, value back up to where it was but having said that if Chelsea can find a way to make this deal happen uh, make this deal happen excuse me I think it's a great value buy it's a good risk to take again he's 20 I think he's got a ton of great football ahead of him. I think he is the real deal. I do think he's that special of a player who's maybe just going in a little bit of a difficult situation or difficult um, you know, run of form, if you will. So uh, Pulisic is someone definitely to keep an eye on in January. Again, these are always a little dicey uh, negotiations to go with because, again, of course, the price is, you know, typically mostly higher um, and these, these high uh, transfers usually are easier to get done in the summer. Although they did sell uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, of course, last January. I do want to ask you guys, just before we move on from this subject, how big a marketing asset is Christian Pulisic to whatever team gets him after Borussia Dortmund? Moving into that US market is what I mean. If you're a Premier League team like a United who have the Chevrolet deal, like a Chelsea, like an Arsenal, like a Liverpool, how big a deal is it to get the guy from America? Yeah, I mean, I think it's huge. I think it's huge. Now, I wouldn't make the deal because that's what you're going for. I mean, if, you, if you're making the deal, if you're acquiring him, you know, if that's your first priority, the marketing, well, then you're not really doing the best for the football club. You, you need to be prioritizing on the pitch production. But as Matt and I both stated, I think we think highly of him as a player. And then, yes, that's a huge added bonus. I mean, arguably whatever England team he would go to and, you know, whatever Premier League team he would go to, they'd kind of become America's team to a, to a certain point. They just would, um, you know, you know, over here in the States, this sport is growing every single day. And I personally, you know, I live in Boston and I personally see way more Premier League kits than I do MLS kits. And you put a Christian Pulisic on a Chelsea, a Liverpool, a Manchester United, any of these top Premier League teams. And, uh, 
that team is going to be um, quite popular. You're going to see a lot of those going to see probably even more viewership, more deals. Um, and, and, you know, I hate to sound aesthetic and superficial here, but like Pulisic's a, an easy kid to market too. I mean, he, he's, he's very well liked. Uh, if you watch an interview, really hard not to get behind his personality um humble kid and uh, not to get weird on you but i think the ladies love him too um you know i kind of he's very marketable and yeah i mean i i really i think it would be a huge gain for whatever premier league team were to acquire him and, and let's be real i mean as i said at the beginning of this answer i hope whatever team acquired him acquiring him would be making it for on the pitch reasons but of course the the club of whoever it is are going to be thinking about that if they're going to be getting christian Pulisic, they probably already have contingency plans in place about how to market market this kid and i totally agree with matt that that you know he, he's just not destined to be in the bundesliga much longer uh, I, I you know i've, I've thought for a couple of years now and i think liverpool has been kind of one of the more rumored teams for him the past couple of years maybe before Sala and Mane and Firmino were that set in stone. Um, I totally was thinking, yeah, it's just it's not a matter of if Christian Pulisic comes over to the Premier League. It's just a matter of when. You know, I'm here in Boston and, and John Henry, who's the owner of the Boston Red Sox, of course, uh, you know, owns Liverpool. And um, it's just, you know, the Red Sox are known for um, really over marketing their players. They acquired this uh, <laughs> player named Pablo Sandoval. Matt, you probably know him. Um, and, and his nickname was Panda. And all they did was produce panda T-shirts the first year. And it was it was nauseating, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, it was like, OK, what do you care more about? You know, the money in your pocket or the actual on field production. But, um, you know, I could have totally seen you know, I could still see Liverpool wanting that marketing part to Pulisic as would any other Premier League team. I mean, everyone wants to grow as a club, right? I mean, when Manchester United signed Park Ji Sung, not that many people knew about him. But not only was he very good on the pitch, he did also really push United's marketing aura in the Asias. And I think that's uh, that's something that teams are going to think more and more about. And um, I don't know. I just think that that's such an added bonus for whoever gets Christian Pulisic. But it, it remains to be seen where he goes. But whoever does get him, they'll get a quality player on the pitch and as you mentioned Alex a, a very very vital asset off the pitch but I think we'll move on to the next uh, subject and I think Matt you should probably lead us on this one who the hell is Sandro Tonali and what's going on with the national uh, Italian national team so let's start with Tonali uh, dubbed the new Perlo is there any truth in that Matt? Well, I think with, uh, you know, first off, anytime you, uh, how many times have we heard, um, you know, the next and then insert a big name, right? I think we've, you know, I feel like with every episode we do of this podcast, we're always talking about, and especially when it comes to our, our player profile segment, we're always talking who we see compared to, who is he the next this, is he the next that. We do a Piontech, they talked about the next Lewandowski, and there's been uh, David Karnaski on Sampdoria has also been given that nickname. Um, how many times have we heard with Verratti, right, you know, the next Pirlo, he plays the same position. But I feel like for me, a lot of that's it's lazy comparisons to make. Um, and I think like, I would, you know, I'm sure Alex would agree on this too. Is that are you really going to look at Jorginho and say, well, he's, you know, he plays in the same role as Pirlo or Verratti, so by default he has that, he's the next that. Like I think it's it's too, 
it's too lazy of a comparison to make. I think again, not to mention it, it's 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 it's, it's high praise to get go to, you know to sing for such a young kid, right? Who's been playing in, in Serie B at Brescia, but of course then again then there's that that connection again, right? Pirlo came up through Brescia, played with Baggio, and obviously the rest is history with uh, Andrea Pirlo and his his storied career. So I think for me again, you know, I think they play the same th- they they played the same positions. Yes, they got the shaggy hair. Yes, they they have the the Brescia tie. Yes. But I think, again, Italian uh, fans need to be careful and cautious with how they uh, you know, put this pressure on this kid. He's even said it, you know, I've heard the comparisons, I appreciate them, but they don't bother me. I, I don't, that's not something I pay attention to. I think he's one of those kids that's very professional. He understands that the, the comparisons are going to come. Down now that more clubs are eyeing him, specifically even Chelsea, City. I've been seeing three, four teams from the Premier League. Looks like all the top clubs in Italy like him as well. It's only natural that people want to know more about him. They want to start putting comparisons on him. And obviously that's going to help push papers, push clicks and all that stuff. But I think for me, what I've seen from him, again, there there are comparisons to, to Pirlo. Same position, that Regista, deep role. Uh, you know, great vision, you know, great balance, you know, those subtle movements that's not flashy, but it's it's effective and it gets him space, it gets him more time on the ball to pick his passes. Uh, I think it's, it's you can see where the Pirlo comes into play, but I think for me at 18 years old, not having played a single lick of Serie A football, uh, he's, I think the highest actual uh, international tier he's played at is the under-19s. He hasn't even gotten a lick with the under 20 or under 21s. Um, now he's starting to obviously train with the senior team. So I think, again, people need to be careful. Um, obviously, the value there's a lot of value in him because they see him as, uh, you know, the next Pirlo. But I think it's only really only going to get a good idea or a good temperature on who he is as a player and whether or not he's going to be, um, you know, someone of that, at least somewhat close to that caliber of Pirlo once was. Um, is when he makes a move, which I think obviously is coming sooner rather than later. I would be stunned if it doesn't come in January, with the with the uh, you know him obviously finishing out the season at Brescia and then moving in the summer. I just don't see him moving right away. But in any case, he's going to move for a ton. Uh, Massimo Cellino, Brescia's owner, has been vocal with that. That if whoever wants Tolani, they're going to have to uh, you know play good, be good with me, be nice with me, be nice with the player. Um, in any case, he's going to move for a ton of money. He's going to move to a top club. Um, I think it would be it would be pretty fascinating to see him um, at, at Chelsea under Sarri, Alex, because obviously you know he, I think he could have that. He we all know that Sarri had the um, the influence on players at Empoli um, and even Napoli, a lot of the younger guys. But whether or not obviously they're going to get the minutes that he needs is another thing. But uh, in any case, I'm sure you would love to see a guy with uh, you know like. Tonali in the in the ranks um, because obviously Chelsea were interested in Pirlo years, years and years ago and he actually almost moved there um, so I think that would be maybe kind of a, a nostalgic thing for you to kind of see a shaggy haired regista roaming around but they got Jorginho that's my boy that's your boy so um, I'm, I'm I think you'd be okay regardless if they don't get him or not yeah I mean if he wanted to be an understudy to Jorginho by all means in fact that's actually probably one of the backup positions Chelsea don't really have I mean, they're trying Cesc Fabregas in that position, but he just, you know, he's a good passer, but he's just not exactly the same as Jorginho. Jorginho is just so good at moving the ball quick. And yeah, Donali, I mean, there wouldn't be a whole lot of pressure on him because he certainly wouldn't be starting Premier League games right away. Um, but I, I really wanted to touch on what you said, Matt, about how the the Pirlo comparisons can be lazy. Now, no one's saying that he he doesn't have Pirlo in his game, but as you said, 
there, there's other reasons why people are saying that. The hair, the club, it, it really starts with aesthetic reasons. And then it goes <laughs> more into their playing style. But it always is more aesthetic reasons. It's simple stuff. Like, I hate, I hate any time I hear the next, okay? Um, there were two players that were, you know, my, my guy's at an Azard. If you follow me on Twitter, you know that and you're sick of it. But, you know, um, there was the two players in the last five, six years that were dubbed the next at an Azard. One was Zachary Bacali. He's Belgian. Um, he is off the face of the earth. He, he is nowhere to be found. But he had those comparisons because he was a balanced dribbler. And uh, that was about it. And he was Belgian. And then Sofiane Buffal, who was at Lille, at Azard's old club, and then moved to uh, Southampton and really has bottomed out as well. So once again, you're seeing the theme here. Same in this case, same kind of style and aesthetic appearance or, or, or similarities um, with their physique. So, you know, I, I just hate it. And, and, and put on these kids and, and teenagers when they're dubbed the next is it, just too much. Ones that, you know, don't have um, a special mentality disappear. Now, uh, it does look like Tonali does kind of have a good head on his shoulders and, and might be able to handle those comparisons. And, and you would think that once he starts playing um, even more competitive football, he starts playing Serie A football and he just gets his feet wet. I think people will, will stop with the Pirlo stuff and really just judge him on his own. Um, but, you know, in terms of the Italian national team, the hype behind him, and I know Mancini is excited about him, but don't you also think it's because they're not doing well? They just missed the World Cup. They're looking for something to be excited about. They're looking for a saving grace. They're, they're looking for identity and um it, it's only natural that they would get excited and kind of hitch their wagons to a, a youngster and what he could be and, and hope that he could be the face of a new regime and a new era but it, it's just it's skipping so many steps i mean he's 18 years old that, that's really pushing the envelope there are other kids on the Atsuri who are older than him who who still need to fill out you know there, there's Chiesa and, and there's other younger players that also kind of need to um, take that next step. So I, I think there are so many reasons why all of a sudden everyone's talking about him and uh, the Pirlo stuff. And, and it ranges from aesthetic uh, aesthetic reasons to the fact that the Azzurri are, are just not doing well. They're not. And um, they, they need something to get excited about. I agree. I, I can't imagine that he would have been compared to Andrea Pirlo if he was bald. I think you could, you could also say, too, with... Um... With, uh, you know, with, with Stefano Sensi, who's a Sassuolo youngster, he's 23 years old now. But when he first came on the scene at Chassegna as a, you know, 20, 21-year-old, people looked at him and they kind of checked, marked off of all the boxes. He's short. He's like Marco Verratti. He's Italian, like Marco Verratti. He plays the same role, like Marco Verratti. He got hit that, that claim, that, that rise to fame at a smaller club, Pescara for Verratti. Chassegna for Stefano Sensi, and then all the interest and attraction came in, and then all the articles were written with the headline, meet, get to know Stefano Sensi, the next Verratti, and Verratti was 23 at the time, 22 at the time, so like, I think it's, again, I think it goes back to that, it's silly, and even Stefano Sensi just got his senior team call up, um, after, you know, kind of mixing it around at Sassuolo the past couple years, and kind of becoming an afterthought in the eyes of most Italian fans, because he was so raved about and had so much interest, and then before you know it, people, I've, I found out, again, with the, this whole Twitter and social media era, um, and hype around certain youngsters, names uh, leave just as quick as they come. 
And Alex would agree with me on that. With we, we, we see these headlines, you push it for a day or two or a couple weeks, the guy gets four goals in four games, and all of a sudden the articles come out, the you know the the videos come out, and before you know it, then all of a sudden maybe they kind of wander and drift away. Same thing would happen with Piontek. I'm not saying he's going to be a flop, or I'm not saying he doesn't have a bright future because I think he does. But that first month and month and a half, two months of the season. All the attention was around Piontek. All the clubs are interested in him. He's cooled off. The service ha- is dried up. And now the goals are not coming in, which means the interest has died down, or at least in the eyes of media, for what I've read, or lack thereof, haven't read, um, it's not there. So I just wanted to point that out, too. I think, again, you got to be careful. we got to be cautious. Let the kids play at this age. If you want to judge them once they make that move, after a couple seasons and you really have an idea, okay, I've seen enough of this kid to recognize that he's not going to be the next Pirlo. He's not going to be this. Maybe his ceiling is this, which is fine, but it's not Pirlo. It's not this player. It's not that player. It's really emotional, emotional, isn't it? Because as Alex mentioned, they're looking for that new guiding light in the Atsuri national team, but they're also pinning it with a bit of nostalgia with the Pirlo, as, as Matt said. So it's interesting as what your future is, you're kind of also comparing him to your past successes, which is only natural, I guess. Over in England, everyone's talking about um, Sancho and Reese Nelson. And England haven't really had one of those types of players for so long. So we're not really talking about the next X. Um, so in Italy, it's a bit different, I guess, because you've got this direct comparison, as you mentioned, Alex, appearance-wise, and also kind of stylistically they're similar but it's interesting that the future hopes are being pinned on someone but compared to someone from the past and that nostalgia is really kicking in yeah and and, you know you you don't i for for youngsters i always say it's the talent that gets them here in terms of for us to talk about them but it's what's in between the ears that keeps them here. So if they really have an elite mentality, then they can handle, they can handle those comparisons and they make a new name for themselves. But there's a new flavor of the week, as Matt was kind of saying, it's, it's just the, the shiny new toy. And I'll almost go back to Pulisic and Jadon Sancho is in the summer, all these Chelsea fans wanted Christian Pulisic. Now I put out a video about Christian Pulisic and everybody wants Jadon Sancho. And that's because he's the shiny new toy. He's the one who's in form for Borussia Dortmund. He's two years younger than Christian Pulisic. He's the one with all the hype via England. So, I mean, it's just there's a flavor of the week. And the ones that really are going to make it are the ones that you seem to talk about. Okay, we're we're still talking about him. We're, you know, three months in and he's playing games and we're actually still talking about him. And and the longer they can build up a resume where you actually have things to reference and not just, oh, he could be this, he could be that. Uh, the more valid it is. And that's coming from me who loves hyping up the youth. I mean, I absolutely do. And I do it to a, I do it to a fault because I'm a dreamer and I'm a hopeless romantic, et cetera. But, you know, I, I do, I have learned lessons. I have learned lessons in terms of like, I've hyped up youngsters before I really knew their mentality. You know, there's this youngster for Chelsea, still for Chelsea, Charlie Musando, who's Belgian. And I got that one flat out wrong. He has all the skills and a lot of people did, but I'll, I'll, I'll say I got it wrong. He has all the foot skills in the world and all the natural ability, and he just is in his own head. He doesn't seem to be very professional, and um, it, it's just so easy to kind of fall in love with a player on YouTube or, or profiles you read of a player, but you, you really need to kind of see them at least play at some competitive level and, and you know hold themselves uh, accountable and, and act like a pro, and um, I guess it's just kind of few and far between. Uh, I'll, steal, I'll steal a quote from... The co-host, aka the real host of the Couch Land Pod, the podcast I'm on, David Amoyal, 
he's not not as into youth and he always says prospects are like a blank canvas you can paint anything you want onto them and and he's right for the most part he is wise words wise words from a wise man uh we want to quickly cover the european super league next so i think this has been met with a quite controversial reception from most uh, leagues and bodies. I know that chairmen from various Premier League clubs have kind of come out and rubbished it. Uh, I believe the La Liga body has has come out and talked about a potential European Super League and how uh, ridiculous it might seem. Uh, Alex, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this one. Guys, I'm against it. I'm against it. Um, I, I'm not totally against the idea of having top clubs play each other more. Uh, I think there's a reason why we all love the Champions League. But uh, not that I've been following this sport. There's um, probably shorter. I mean, I'm very open about my background in this sport. Very a typical American kid watching all the American sports. And, you know, I'm still fairly new to this sport compared to other people. But um, there's just something about the way it's structured, the nostalgia behind it, um, the Champions League itself, but also, like, if a super and I'll almost pose this question to you guys: If a super league happens, does it take away from a story like Leicester City? Is there an ability to have a Leicester City, or, mm. or you know, because I, I don't know. I mean, I just I just think now I, I kind of I also understand. I don't know if we're going to see another Leicester City championship again. Like that was just so unfathomable. But I really like the way things are set in stone. I'm a huge. I, I'm a like the Champions League. When that music comes on, I get goosebumps, and it's just <laughs> such. Like, I mean, who doesn't? And it's just, it's such a, a great event, and, and I love, you know, their own divisions of um, clubs. And sure, maybe some people do get bothered by the fact that you know some leagues seem to be dominated by top teams, and if you got those top teams out, then there'd be more balance within those leagues. You know, you get a Bayern Munich out, and now all of a sudden it's. It, the title is more up for debate and stuff, but I don't know. I, I, I'm against it. And I think I still have a developing opinion on it. I, I'm not completely shut off to it because as I said, I love top teams playing other top teams, but uh, for right now I need to be convinced. For me, this feels slightly like a, a commercial move. And it, it's quite sad to say uh, in the weeks past, we've seen the um, the chairman of the, the FA step down and uh, he, he they wanted to hand him like a five million pound uh, settlement or severance package over three years as a consultant. And then we have this European Super League thing bubbling up. It all just feels a bit like the love of the game is being monetized to such an extent that that fans are going to be taken advantage of. Imagine you have, uh, you know, top four teams from England, Spain, Germany, Italy, France, and every game is a, is a sellout game. It's This is a, a dream for people who are trying to make as much money from football as they want. But I do agree with Alex, that novelty from the Champions League, how much of that will be lost if we do have this European Super League and Milan play Arsenal um, three or four times a year, Matt? I think for me, you know, it's when I look, I also think about the, the idea or concept behind a Super League, it feels like something out of FIFA for me because actually it's funny. Me and my friends will throw on FIFA. Obviously, when you get bored of career mode or you don't want to play Ultimate Team online, you do a career mode and you start, you know, you make a Super League, right? I've done this many times where I put Real Madrid, Barcelona, uh, Milan, Inter, Juve, Napoli, all in one league. And then, so every game you feel like it's like a derby. Every game is is a, a clash. It's a titanic clash. But I think that, again, like you guys have been saying, it diminishes the quality of like 
Barcelona, Real Madrid. It's like everyone looks for, yes, of course you get that in La Liga, but everyone looks for these big matches sprinkled in in the schedule. And you, especially when they come into the, um, you know, how, when you look, perfect example, when you looked at Liverpool, Man City, who were drawn together uh, or drawn against each other in the Champions League last year. That was fantastic because both were going for the title. Obviously, they're the, the, the top two. They were the top two teams at the time. So you like those certain things. You like those big clashes being sprinkled in. Imagine if it was Patriots uh, Packers every three games. Imagine if it was Lakers with with LeBron and the Warriors every you know. 10, 11, 12 times a year. It kind of waters it down. It diminishes the actual value and, and the, the the joy of a big match like that. So that's something that I would take away from me. It would take away from me as well is that, yes, on paper, everyone's like, well, I want to see the best players every weekend. I want to see the biggest matches. I get that. But I think, again, it's not something that's feasible. And as you guys just mentioned, um, it seems like it's kind of t- it's diminishing the, qual- the, the, the beauty behind the game and having those stories like Leicester and some of these other teams kind of come out of nowhere and start to, you know, make some noise in the league. I think that's what kind of what bothered me most is, yes, I understand the commercial side of things. I understand that this game, you know, with every passing year, it's becoming more and more of a business than a sport or than a game. But I still think you have to, you can't just completely rid the game of that element of, you know, the the fantasy, the dreaming, all those different things that we love so much about this sport and that we continually see, um, you know, rave about by doing something like this. I don't see it happening, in my opinion, but the fact that it's more than an idea and the fact that it's more than just uh, something that we're just going to throw out and see what happens and being mentioned in the media kind of frightens me a bit because obviously we all love this sport, we all you know, kind of got attracted to it or attacked to it in one way or the other. And to see something like this again, it just, it wouldn't sit well with me. To agree with Matt, it just totally loses its aura. You don't get to get as excited about these Titans facing each other because you're, you're seeing it too often. So you're not necessarily sitting on your couch right when it starts. And, and there's just something behind like, oh, you know, AC Milan and Arsenal are playing each other. We haven't seen that in four years. And, and if you make this Super League, it, it just loses its aura. I agree. That novelty, that magic would somewhat be lost. I mean, the butterflies, the goosebumps that I get before a big game, before a an Arsenal-Tottenham-North London derby, if that happens too often those butterflies slowly start diminishing but i'm conscious of time uh, and in every episode we do do a pre- uh, player profile so alex as you're our guest today you're going to play a profile someone for for us <laughs> yeah um so <laughs> i'm gonna player profile mason mount it, oh, it, i'm shocked yeah what a surprise what a surprise i mean I, I i alluded to it in a previous answer maybe i hype up youth too much but <laughs> if there's one youth player i am not at all nervous about hyping up it's mason mount and uh, i'm not alone it's not like i discovered this kid in fact i only about two years ago learned about him from you know great account on Twitter, scouted football and uh it's Mason Mount is a 19 year old midfielder for Darby County. He's owned by Chelsea. He is currently being managed by once again, and we're going to talk about this. He's being managed by somebody that he's being called the next dub. And that is Frank Lampard, who obviously has just so much importance and and special, um, a special place in Chelsea fans hearts. And it's Frank Lampard's first year as a manager for Darby County. And Mason Mount really succeeded last year in the Eredivisie with Vitesse, which is kind of like Chelsea's uh, 
club that they send all their youngsters to. But this time it was different. There's been many Chelsea youngsters that have succeeded at Vitesse and then they've just disappeared. But it just feels like it's different with Mason Mount. He had many apparent offers from top five leagues. Uh, in fact, even Chelsea was considering keeping him, as uh, Gianfranco Zola said, and, uh, you know, it kind of echoed that Sarri was at least considering seeing him for a little bit longer this summer. But uh, Mason Mount himself kind of chose to go to Derby County because he wanted to learn from somebody he grew up idolizing, and that's Frank Lampard. And getting more to, to what Mason Mount is about, his player profile, he is – I'd like to call him a center attacking mid, but you could, you could call him a center mid. He is definitely an attacking type midfielder, but not necessarily a guy who's ever going to go out to the wings. Right now, Darby County is playing kind of a 4-2-3-1, and, and he is kind of playing a number 10. But if you were to profile him into Chelsea's team, who's playing a 4-3-3, he could play a CM. He's attacking. And, and the thing with Mason Mount that I absolutely love is what's between his ears. He And, and Sure. Someone can say, Alex, how do you know what's between his ears? You don't know him. You don't hang out with him. But there's a certain quality you get or there's a certain feeling you get when you watch a player in terms of are, are things under control? Or is the stage too big for them? And uh, maybe the biggest thing with Mason Mount is when he has a bad game. Uh, and I put that in quotes. He still manages to get a goal or, or an assist or do something impactful. And in fact, he, he played Chelsea. Um, I want to say three weeks ago in this Carabao Cup. Uh, normally, you're not allowed to play your parent club, and, and Chelsea gave Frank Lampard the. Uh, they allowed him to play Mason Mount and another youngster also on loan. Um, and Mason Mount did not disappoint. He was playing at Stamford Bridge, where he dreams of playing, and he got an assist. And it did not. The stage did not look too big for him. Um, he, he's a clinical shooter. Uh, he really can finish anywhere. He can finish in the box. He, he's great at long shots. He's a great set piece taker. Um, he's hit some audacious free kicks last year for Vitesse in the academy with Chelsea and this year for Derby County. Absolute peaches. Um, some people, some critics would say he, he's not um, necessarily a polished passer, but he's made passes that are truly extraordinary, and you can see the potential to really um, put up a lot of goals and assists. Uh, he's got a great work rate too. I mean, I, I would say that he's not he's not physically gifted, and I think that's why maybe some people could could have some doubts about him. He, he's not going to be the fastest player in the pitch. He's certainly not the strongest. He definitely needs to get stronger. But he's kind of one of those players that that doesn't really let that affect him. Um, and, and maybe my favorite thing about Mason Mount, once again, I said his mentality, but. Chelsea, as you guys probably know, do not have a good history with having their youth come from their prestigious academy and actually making it into their first team. I mean, they, they, they must be the worst current club at actually integrating their youth. And it's beyond frustrating. It really is. And really, the last Chelsea Academy player, especially English player, to break through was John Terry, who obviously is now retired. So, so that's terrifying in its own way. But there's this quote that's been going around for about a year plus. Uh, Mason Mount's father said to him when, when Mason Mount was really starting to get aspirations of making it for Chelsea's, you know, son, John Terry w was the last academy player to break through to Chelsea's first team. And Mason Mount's answer was simple. So I'll be the next. And, you know, <laughs> every time I say that, I kind of, you know, I, I, I just want to get behind the kid even more because uh, he, he keeps talking about it. You know, he knows that you guys mentioned Jadon Sancho and Reese Nelson. And, and I keep calling Jadon Sancho kind of the pioneer. 
um, in terms of he, he made that risky move away from Manchester City because he didn't see playing time in his future. And now it's working. He, you know, he, he's a hot commodity over at Bruce Dortmund. Reese Nelson's not a permanent move, but once again, he wanted playing time. And I think that's going to be a trend. Uh, Chelsea have another talented youngster, Callum Hudson-Odoi. And, and maybe that will be the trend with Hudson-Odoi. Maybe he'll have to go play somewhere else. But Mason Mount does not want that to be his story. He wants to make it at Chelsea. And uh, he's doing great for Derby County this year. And honestly, I think he uh, will only get better and better. And he will be the person to break Chelsea's youth trend. Uh, good good note to end on I think there Alex certainly a talented player Mason Mount and he's flourishing under Frank Lampard who knows maybe he'll be the next Frank Lampard uh, Alex you've been awesome on the State of Play podcast today man where can people find out more about you um, yeah you can find me on Twitter at Alex Goldberg underscore uh, underscore um, once again proceed with caution I can be uh, in your face so I apologize ahead of time and uh the thing I am probably most excited about is the new YouTube channel that I launched, uh, which only happened because of the awesome support I got from Twitter videos. The YouTube page is called The Byline. And um, the only other thing I do that I would plug that's worthwhile is, uh, as I alluded to earlier in this podcast, is uh, the Couchland podcast, which is Serie focused and hosted by the great David Amoyal. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on, man. And uh, Matt, my partner in crime, where can people find out more about you? Same thing on Twitter. Uh, me and my Alex have had plenty of exchanges over there. So, uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter for all my work, um, at Matt underscore Santangelo. Mostly writing, mostly GIFs, but um, who knows, maybe I'll get into the uh, the video department of things and uh, kind of expand my horizons and uh, dabble with that soon. But, uh, yeah, if, I'm, if I do do that, it's definitely on Twitter, and I'll, I'll be sure to inform you there. <laughs> yeah, I've seen a couple of your recent periscopes, especially after disappointing games from Milan. Uh, they've been they've been good to watch. Not that I enjoy watching your pain, but you know. Uh, <laughs> and you can find me at Pet Berisha, P E T B E R I S H A. I'm sure to probably be interacting in the, the kind of football family on Twitter more in the future. And you can follow us at State of Play Pod. Uh, on Twitter and you can email us at stateofplaypod at gmail.com but thank you very much for for listening guys and uh, whatever you're doing today have a great day Bye.